You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Chuck and Rachel. Um, this is going to be a little sporadic as it has been for the last couple of weeks and will continue to be since Chuck's uh, travel schedule is extremely busy at this time of year. Yeah, you guys um, got me out on the road all the time. Yeah. It's we like slave drivers. Go, go, Chuck, go. <laughs> we, uh, so first, let's talk about events last week. You did several in Oregon, right? Several yeah. different cities of Oregon. How did those go? Or maybe just talk about like your your favorite one, if you're allowed to pick favorites. Oh, really? No, I, I you know, I, I I flew out there on Sunday night and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, and I had like one little thing Thursday morning, but I was in I was in Oregon, and yeah, I, I it was my first trip ever to Portland. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm actually writing about that now. And I actually have, yeah, like a, yeah I actually have like a five part series I'm going to do on <laughs> some of the things that okay. came up cool. in Portland. Yeah. And, uh, some, they have a massive housing affordability problem. And to me, it, it, it seemed like the way they were talking about it, uh, was not getting at the, the core issue. Now I, I, I talked to a lot of people about my thoughts and, Let's just say there was not a, a consensus to agree with me either, um, but I thought I'd put these ideas out there because I, I I think they're, they're it's worth exploring. So I'm going to be doing that this week. But yeah, Portland. Uh, I would describe like the downtown of Portland. Have you ever been there? Uh yeah, for like a day or two. Okay, not extensively though. I would describe the downtown of Portland as like you know the urban planners Disneyland. You know. Yeah, um, with that, what isn't it like a free streetcar or something that runs that little loop? I don't know if it's free or not. The the people okay. I was with bought me tickets and gave it to me, so I you know you 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 pre-stamp it and then if they ever check, which I never did. Okay. Um, but it was. Um, I I think the thing about it to me, I know a lot of people talk about the rail and the like. You mentioned the streetcar. Yes, but. Um, there are a lot of cities that have those things. To me, what set Portland apart, not just in the core downtown, but really throughout the entire rail line that I rode and everything, the, the urban design is just really good. I mean, I, I feel like the people who are doing that stuff understand how to build things at a human scale. It, it's like they, they have actually done the work and the introspection and the observation and the things you need to actually build environments that feel comfortable for humans to be in. And mm-hmm. because of that, it's an absolutely amazing place. Uh, when you get outside of the core downtown, um, not only is it, uh, I think in a contrast way, just uh, amazingly ordinary, but in, in many ways, and I don't know if it's the contrast that makes it feel like this, but it's, it, it is, like subordinary. It, 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 there was so many places that it, like at, w- at one point here, we're walking down the street with a group of people and you know, the, the planners are there and they're describing basically everything within the right of way, all the transportation stuff and they obsess over it. And I stand, talk to the one like neighborhood activist next to me and I'm like, what, what about this? Like over here? 
you know, looking at like this vast expanse of stuff that is not well developed and not well taken care of and, and, you know, the, the building and, Mm -hmm. uh, he just kind of rolls his eyes and he's like, yeah, we don't, you know, (laughs) nobody, nobody, you know, nobody bothers with that. It's very, um, kind of surreal once you get outside because you can tell how smart these people are and how much effort they've taken to get things right. But, uh, I, you know, it just, there was a, there was a, there was a lot of, um, things that were hard to explain, uh, given that in the, the landscape outside of the core. I also went to, uh, Salem and mm-hmm. uh, a little town called Independence, and then another word. I, I, I keep wanting to call it Newport, but it's it's New Newburgh. Newburgh, right. yeah. And it's just like I have this tick in my brain that wants to call it Newport, but Newburgh. And 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 all three of those places had just a delightful time. I mean, not only were people really generous with their times, but these were all places that had aspects of them that were really fantastic, mm-hmm. and you know, quite amazing. I, Newburgh. I got a tour by some of the city officials and boy, it, it it was really impressive. The stuff that they did. Independence has like three blocks that are just phenomenal, just amazing. Um, the, I think the really satisfying thing about it was that at every stop there was great stuff to point at, like you guys are doing this so well. And then there were also opportunities to say, look, um, we can kind of tweak this and do this better and maybe like focus on this and this and, and uh, you know, we can kind of move this ball ahead incrementally. And I feel like it was a, a good like learning experience for me. And I also feel like we were able to provide a lot of value to people and get them kind of jazzed up about their place. So yeah, I, I felt like that part of the trip was fantastic. You did uh, several walking tours as part of that, right? Yeah. Or at least one or two. No. I'm glad that that's taking off as a popular thing. Yeah. You know, we did the ones uh, the week before in Edina, uh, which were really cool and which they did a great job recording and, you know, Facebook live streaming it. So I know we ran those last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it it was really great. I mean, I'm, it's funny because I, I, do not consider myself an urban designer in any way. Um, but you know, uh, <laughs> in some of these places, the urban design chops get exercised a little bit and it's, it's fun to talk about those things in the context of, of our message. But, uh, yeah, in, in, in Salem, for sure, we rode around for like three hours with a video recorder and just, oh, okay. it's like a video recorder in my face for three hours um, talking about the things that I see. And I, I think that video will be coming out at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, yeah, later in the week in Shreveport, they were, they were streaming a lot too. And, uh, it's kind of fun, you know, you're out there and you're talking to people and you're helping them kind of see their place a little bit differently. And then as you're going, you're getting like live feedback and they were giving me questions from people who were asking questions, you know, through the live feed, mm-hmm. you know, technology is incredible. We're, we're, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing world. And we had some uh, Strong Towns, pretty active Strong Towns members who helped to sponsor some of those events, right? John Gear in Salem and then also Tim Wright in Shreveport. So that that's, 
I hope well, it was fun to meet them. John Gear is a ton of fun to meet. Um, you know, he he uh, he inundates me with emails, and I, I feel bad <laughs> because. I, you know, I'm like, uh, I think last week I got like 1500 emails during the course of the week and yeah. it's just so hard to keep up. I mean, I'm, I am constantly apologizing to people for, you know, responding six months after they email me. Um, John sends me all the time and I, I do my best to keep up, but I, I can't always, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was, it was fun to meet him and him and I were on a radio show the week before. So I got to kind of chat on the air um, with him there. And then, yeah, I mean, very smart guy completely gets our message was very generous with his time. And then, yeah, a, a, a lot of strong Towns members in Portland. I had a lot of them come up to me at a talk and say, Hey, I'm a member and just wanted to meet you. We had one, um, woman and, and I, I want to say she was in Portland, but she might've been in Salem who drove six hours. I'm not joking you six wow. hours to uh, attend the, the talk. And I just, wow, you blow me away. And she was a member too. So I was like, just fantastic. Cool. Yeah. We should talk about Shreveport though. Yeah. Tell me about that one. So at the, on Thursday it was like a travel day and I had that kind of circled on my calendar as like a day of rest. Um, it was like the most unrestful day imaginable. Uh, I had three flights. I was actually in the air, uh, like 10 and a half hours. There's, there's no quick way to get from Portland, Oregon to Shreveport, Louisiana. So it was a long day, but got up the next day and yeah, Tim, um, had lined up just a, a series of conversations. We started a day in this, uh, little neighborhood, um, uh, called Allen Allendale. And as we we walk, you know, the, the question for me right away was, do you want to walk or do you want to drive? And I said, well, you know, are we, what are we talking? They're like, oh, a mile and a half. I'm like, let's walk. Mm-hmm. So we, we walked there and this was a neighborhood, uh, that a couple decades ago with 20,000 people in it is now down to, to 5,000 and rather poor neighborhood. You could see the, uh, you know, the helpful hands at work. So a, a big field where there used to be houses all through it. They went in, ripped out those houses, put in a museum. Uh, cause you know, that, I guess that's what you do. Uh, you know, the idea was that the museum would of course create jobs, growth, it'd be a magnet for the neighborhood, all that. Um, museums now closed up. Uh, so you've, you've got a, you know, empty neighborhood and a closed museum. You're, you know, you're welcome. Uh, there was a little place where they had built some HUD homes, which, you know, uh, were not bad, but they were kind of, it was clear that they got like cheap property somewhere. Uh, you know, they, they didn't place them strategically. The architecture was kind of nice, but then they surrounded it with a wrought iron fence. And so it looked kind of like a, a, you know, a, a, it had like the, uh, uh, penitentiary kind of look, you know, like you're caged in here. Um, you, you go through this neighborhood and there's signs of like, you know, g- good, you know, do-gooders trying to make good, but you get further into it and there was this beautiful park. And by beautiful, I don't mean like ornate. I mean, some neighbors in this neighborhood took a a patch of ground that, uh, you know, weeds were growing up and was just completely neglected. And with, you know, what looked like spare parts from around the neighborhood constructed this beautiful, beautiful little patch of ground 
uh, with plants and flowers and little signs that say, you know, we care about our neighborhood. Everywhere you'd go, they had these little signs that they would all put up that said, we care. And, um, you could see it like, like very poor houses. I mean, these were not wealthy places at all. This was a very poor neighborhood yet. People were out planting flowers. They were taking care of their yards. They, they you know, were a, a community. And we had this uh, meeting at this, um, you know, I, I think they called it the Friendship Hall. It was a, a building they had where they, you know, everybody would come together from the neighborhood and have meetings. And the big issue was uh, the city looking to spend $600 million to run an elevated highway through the middle of this very poor neighborhood. And I'm, I'm looking going, you know, uh, did, did I just get magically transported back to 1965? Yeah. What did we not learn our lesson? Yeah. Like what, 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 you know, what, what is going on here? Like, yeah. Is this a conversation? Like, didn't we do this and then say, this was really stupid, but you, you know, you see it like happening there and, and they're totally serious. I mean, $600 million they want to run. And of course, you know, you dig into it and the project is all about, you know, this will create jobs and like the chamber of commerce is this huge backer and you look at it and, and you find out they've got a $2 billion backlog uh, of maintenance. And you're like, what, what, why is anybody talking about this? This is insane on like 10 different levels. Oh, so so yeah, it makes it, and I'm sitting in this room with a, with a bunch of people that I, I can only describe as like beautiful people. I mean, they're just mm-hmm. kind and, and caring and they would go through and tell me their stories. And, and I actually felt really at a loss. I'm like, you know, I'm, I don't, you know, I, 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 I don't know what I can do to help, you know, but I'm, I'm here. I want to listen and I want to learn. And, uh, you know, I want to tell you and affirm to you that, yeah, th- this is not right. Th- this is, if you just look at it from a dollar standpoint, these are bad investments, you know, forget the moral part of it. Mm-hmm. Th- these are things that don't make any sense at all. And what would make sense is actually coming into your neighborhood and asking you, you know, where are you struggling and how do we help with that? And what are the small things we can do to make life a little bit better here? It, it is, it is amazing to me, the contrast when you get into neighborhoods like that, that are extremely poor, um, the contrast between what we, uh, you know, bureaucratically and institutionally are prone to do to, to help that situation and what actually the people on the ground would like to see done to help the situation. And it, it's just like nobody listens. You know, no, nobody goes out there and just listens. And I, I wish that we could, you know, just start that as like the base program, like go and listen so I got to, I, I, I was, I was deeply inspired by Shreveport, um, which, you know, in comparison to Portland is from, you know, from a urban planning geek standpoint is terrible. I mean, Shre- Shreveport has, you know, buildings in disrepair, bunch of missing teeth, poor neighborhoods, you know, terrible transportation system with all these one-way couplets and cars driving at insane speeds through the middle of neighborhoods. But you look at it and what Shreveport has that, you know, I did not see in Portland at all. And really, you don't see it very often is this sense of who we are, uh, the sense of wanting to make things better and of actually the willingness at a very personal, intimate level to go out and do it. And that to me is is 
the most inspiring thing. So I, I loved Shreveport and I would go back tomorrow if we could make it work. Well, we definitely want to get to talking about our new book, but before that, let's just briefly mention that we uh, just opened a new position on our staff and we would invite anyone who's interested to read more about it, uh, attend one of our info sessions that Chuck is hosting this week and then apply if it's a good fit for you. Chuck, do you want to talk about that at all? It's so exciting. It was so exciting, you know, a year ago when we were able to expand the staff and really focus on the communications message. And, and for the movement, it has paid massive dividends. Um, you know, I, I am going out and speaking to huge crowds now, and we are getting a, a ton of momentum. And you can really see this message starting to change policy and, and, and change the way people talk about cities and talk about you know, the, the way we live. Uh, we, uh, lost Jason last, uh, May for, you know, he, he, um, he, he left us, um, uh, which, you know, uh, he had some things he was working on and I, I totally get it. We kind of duct taped and, uh, Baylor twined things together for a while. Michelle stepped up, has done a lot of, a lot of important work to kind of fill the gaps. Um, but we have had this kind of notion that we really need, uh, someone here to focus on building the movement and our, our members, not only, uh, you know, bringing in new members, but also, uh, working closely with our existing members just to serve them better and make sure that, you know, while I, I think you and I converse with our members a lot, I know Yuri does a lot. We kind of have our pulse on things. It, it, we really need someone who just has uninterrupted time to really mm-hmm. drill down and focus on, on member needs. And so we kind of reworked the position from, from when Jason uh, was filling that role, we learned a lot and uh, yeah, uh, really would like someone who enjoys working with people uh, is able to work. You know, we all work from home. We work pretty flexible hours, you know, is, is kind of self-disciplined and self-motivated so they can, you know, there's, there's no time cards here. We don't have, uh, you know, overbearing bureaucracy. We all got to be kind of self-motivated, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, gets technology, like understands how, uh, digital communications can work in conjunction with giving people a good old call and hearing their story and chatting with them and, and working with the rest of the team to figure out how do we, how do we make things work? So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I do think we'll have a couple other openings next year. Uh, if things continue to, to go the way we're going, we got a member drive coming up here next month. So we'll, we'll see, but you know, Mm -hmm. our members have been so supportive and have really helped us in in this call to let's grow this movement. Let's really make this uh, a thing that's going to change the direction here. And, uh, you know, our job is to, to take their support and, and make that happen. So this is a commitment to continue to do that. You can visit strongtowns.org slash employment to get the job description and find out more info about the application process. What do you, you know, you went through this application process. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the big things that I have always done, um, because I know that I have biases and everybody human has biases, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Is to try to take, I mean, we're really looking for like the best person for this job. And so the application, you don't need a resume. Uh, In fact, if you send me a resume, we will disqualify you because I specifically (laughs) ask you not to. Um, 
We don't ask for your credentials or your references or anything. All we want is your email address and your zip code. And we go from there. Well, how do you, you know, you went through this. Um, how'd you, how'd you think it worked out last time? I really liked it because it gave me a sense of what the job was going to be. And like, it helped me evaluate if I was going to be good at this job. So definitely enjoyed it far more than just, you know, sending in a resume and a bland cover letter. This is a lot more interactive and interesting and helps, I think will help us, uh, analyze who's going to be a good fit for the job as well. Yeah. Cause we're going to give them like some things to do, like here, you, you're, you know, you're coming to work for us. Here's the kind of things that we're going to ask you to do, uh, do them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in Which a small way, such an obvious thing. Like why don't other job yeah. processes do that? Maybe they do down the line, but I've never had to do that for another I have no job. Idea. <laughs> I actually read uh, a Malcolm Gladwell piece years ago. Uh, when I was working, when I was helping start a charter school here in town, which is a, a long story that we don't have to go into, but the, uh, the, you know, start as like a volunteer thinking you'll empty garbage cans and, you know, and all of a sudden you wind up the chair of the board. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was weird. Anyway, um, I, uh, I read this thing about that Malcolm Gladwell wrote about, uh, finding good teachers mm-hmm. and it compared quarterbacks with teachers and it said, you really can't tell if a college quarterback is going to be a great professional quarterback until you have them play in a professional game. Um, because the speed of the game is so fast. The way you have to make decisions is so fast. You can be really good in college and terrible at a pro. Um, and they said with teachers, it's a lot the same. Like you really, you can go through and you can get A's in all your classes and you can be wonderful at, you know, all the academics. Um, but until you get in front of a group of kids and have to actually teach them. You really don't know who the gifted teachers are. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I've, I've kind of taken that to heart. Like, yes. Um, I think you can judge a lot of people on their resume and say, you know, wow, this person is a very impressive resume, but until you actually get them in the job, like, how are they going to perform? How are they going to do? I think conversely with that, I'm just keenly aware that there are tons of people out there who are brilliant, who have a lot of potential, who really get this stuff, who, who want to make things happen. But, um, you know, maybe don't have the resume that is going to shine through and compare it to a bunch of others. So I, I feel like this is a process you can use to identify those, those hidden gems. So the deadline to uh, begin this process is October 21st. Uh, don't Friday, miss that right? if you're interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about our new book, Thoughts on Building Strong Towns, Volume 2. Wait a um, sec. We've got a new book? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> I've actually already released a couple of podcast interviews with uh, <laughs> I know some I of our that. writers. <laughs> so probably our listeners are aware of that by now. But um, yes, finally our book is done. And it's funny because a lot of my friends, like after we published it, I realized, oh, I should probably like share this on Facebook yeah. that I helped do this. And all my friends were like, oh my gosh, you helped with a book. This yeah. is like, wow, I'm so impressed. And like, to me, I was just like, oh wow. All I felt being done was just like relief that it's done and I don't have yeah. to work on it anymore. I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't fully celebrate that this is an achievement. So um, I, uh, yeah, but yeah. I'm excited well, about it. Let me put that in context. Uh, you, you just said, you know, I helped with a book. No, you, you like, you know, assembled it, put it together, pick the pieces, uh, you know, argued for certain ones and not others. So you were like the driving force, but I, I, I've, I've, I've always wanted to do this. And I think we'll probably start doing this now on an annual basis, which is 
take the, the best stuff from the prior year and then take some extra time and go through and edit those pieces and format them and expand them and, and do what we can to make them really good. And then, you know, cluster them together and release it as a book. I kind of feel like, you know, we, we put out so much content now on a weekly basis. I, I can't keep up. Mm-hmm. And I hear from a lot of our longtime readers and, and members uh, that they can't keep up either. And so, you know, my response to them is, well, do you read every single article in the New York times? No. Um, you know, read the stuff that looks the most interesting to you. And then we will, you know, try to, uh, you know, aggregate them all together and uh, release them in a really nice professional way. My, my hope with this is a couple of things. First, we do give the digital versions free to all of our members. And I just feel like that is a really nice kind of courtesy to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you're, you're hanging with us, uh, you're supporting this. Let's, you know, let's help you out there. Um, I also think that it's, it's a really nice way to introduce people to strong towns. I mean, a lot of people will refer them to an article or two and that's great, but the idea of the book, both volume one and now volume two is that way you can get a really good overview of strong towns in a, in a fairly, you know, a a, a fairly concise way. Definitely. Uh, And you know, it's, it's easy to read. And I also love the fact that while the first version was, you know, by Charles Marone. The second version is by Charles Marone and a whole list of, uh, of other like really great writers that have kind of come on board in the intervening years and been part of our conversation. So yeah, this is so exciting. Yeah. And on the other writers, I do want to say that we ended up featuring at least one piece from almost all of our contributors, our regular contributors. Um, but that's not because we like went through everyone's list of stuff they posted and we're like, well, we have to pick something from Grayson to make her feel good about Uh, herself or anything like that. No, we, at the end of the year, we looked at every single one of the pieces we published and picked the top ones. And of course we had great content from all of our contributors. So, um, it's good to be able to feature the best essays from those people because they really are fantastic. Of course, tons of fantastic work from Chuck as well on this. Are, are, are we still giving out free copies to people who become uh, new members? Um, I believe that offer expired at the end of last week, but I don't know <laughs> if, if you want to extend it. Okay. We well, have if, amount of free copies, but <laughs> if, if, if being like the boss of this thing is worth anything, it should be the ability to do that. Right. Sure. So how about, how about we extend it to through the, like anybody listen to the podcast if you go and sign up to become a member of Strong Towns, bam, free book. I will autograph it. We will mail it to you. Uh, I can't I promise that you'll get it next week. I've got a stack of like 250 of them here. Um, and the, the problem is that like I have to sign each one and then address it and then bring it to the post office. So that, that may take a little bit of time. Um, but you will get it. You will, you will get it. I, I, let me make this promise. You will get it before Christmas. <laughs> That's good. This um, will also make a good Christmas gift. So, yeah. So anybody who wants to go and become a member, uh, we will send you a copy of volume two this, what is, this week. Yeah. What is, uh, your favorite chapter from this or the thing you're most proud of or excited oh. about in this book? Um, well, I, I really enjoyed the one you shared today on the site, actually. Um, Was that the least dumb idea that consensus Yeah, the, the, I, I kind of I like that one in retrospect. But 
my favorite thing in the whole book is the series that we did on gross negligence. And I, you know, I've turned that into a presentation now and I've tried it out in a couple of places and I'm hoping we can kind of roll that out in a a higher level um, next year. Uh, But these are the series of pieces that looked at not only these, uh, these, these traffic um, collisions where kids were killed, you know, kids kind of become the, the gateway to talk about these larger issues Mm-hmm. The larger issues is really the way we respond to that tragedy. So you have these horrible, horrible tragedies, you know, children getting run down on the edge of roads and in, in strollers, children walking across the street and getting mowed, children at a daycare having, you know, vehicles come through the front door and, and send eight of them to the hospital. You have this series of like horrible, horrible incidents and our responses are so pathetic, you know. Let's put up some bollards. Let's let's do some public service announcements and change the speed limit. Don't yeah, yeah, one. exactly. So you know, without changing anything about the geometry of the roadway. So to me, it was a. I felt very good about doing it because it. it I, I think when you go through and you read those, y- you, you get like shocked out of the blase of, you know, the, our, our kind of standard response to these things. Yeah, that's, it's an extremely powerful series of pieces. I yeah. would definitely agree. Um, I think one of my favorite things is at the end of the book, we have about five or six essays that are sort of like reflections on strong talents as a movement and like our identity and how we can, you know, it has some like hopeful notes about how we can move forward. Um, that it's not all kids getting hit by cars, that there is, you know, a way to like build stronger towns. And I, I really like that series. We've got an essay on efficiency and density and how we view those things, but also your essay, I'm not afraid about immigration. And Grayson has a lovely piece at the end about just like really loving your neighborhood and how that is the power to be transformative. So that warmed my heart. I like that stuff at the end. Yeah. I, I feel like our conversation has expanded a lot and, you know, I, I get a little bit of feedback sometimes from the people who have been with us a long time and remember when it was just me writing three days a week and they'll mm-hmm. say, you know, get back to bashing engineers, you know, get back to just looking at the raw numbers. That's what we liked. And I get that. And I, you know, I get back to them and say like, look, I still write like three days a week. You know, you're still getting pretty much like the same amount of me and my writing that you were getting before. Um, now you're just getting, you know, you know, an additional, uh, 12 to 14 posts a week by different people with different voices talking about similar issues. Mm-hmm. And, I, I think that that has, has had the desired effect that that we that I wanted that our board wanted, which is to broaden our conversation and the number of entry points into the the Strong Towns movement. It's really exciting when you put them in a book and you see not only these these brilliant people writing stuff that I think is is very well written and well you know put forth, but just the the wide range that our conversation now has. And yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of that. I I think we're, I look at where we were even a year ago and, uh, boy, I'm, I'm really proud of the stuff we've done. And this book is kind of a good point to stand back and reflect on that. 
let's talk really quickly about what you are doing. Um, this week is low travel week, but next week, um, where are you headed? Yeah, I would say this week is like a low travel week. Um, you guys have, you guys have filled up my schedule with <laughs> podcast interviews and different things. Cause we're getting ready for a big content week again next week. Um, which is really cool. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this week and then this weekend, uh, the family has, and you'll appreciate this, you know, now being a Minnesotan in Wisconsin, our family has the dream vacation in the Dells. Oh yeah. Yep. I have been to the Dells water parks before. <laughs> Which so, one are you headed to? Uh, Great Wolf Lodge every year, um, for, since Chloe was two. So Chloe is 12 now. So 10 years in a row. Um, we like, it's a bunch of family, right? We go and we hang out and it's really cool. Cause it's like a benchmark on the children's, you know, growth. Cause I remember when like Chloe was so small, she would only go in like the kiddie pool and now she goes on all the huge mm-hmm. slides and it's a fun weekend for them. It's a fun weekend for me to hang out with my family. And, uh, but then, uh, on the way home from that, which is like a, a bizarrely long distance from where we live. Uh, I will be veering off and heading up to Thunder Bay, uh, Ontario, which Thunder Bay is if you go drive up the north side of of Lake Superior. So from Duluth, you just go north along the lake. When you cross into Canada, Thunder Bay. And mm-hmm. I've been there a, a few times as tourist, never as as planner. And I'm really excited. They, they've done a lot to get ready. And we've got a, a lot of different, you know, things scheduled and a lot of different venues and it's going to be fun. Um, I come back and then, uh, I am home like a few hours. I think I'll get to bring the kids to school and maybe pick them up. Um, but then we're off to, uh, Billingham, Washington. And there again, they've got, uh, you know, some walking tours. Uh, I'm doing a couple different curbside chats for two different audiences, one at a university and one, uh, for the general public. So yeah, that's, that trip has been in the making for a while too, and is going to be a good chance to get to a, you know, a different part of Washington state that, that I have not been to yet. So yeah, it'll be really fun. Great. Uh, okay. I wanted to take a minute to acknowledge, usually we acknowledge all our new members and we have tons of new members because of that, uh, or at least partly because of that book, uh, free book offer. So Welcome to all our new members, for sure. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that we have some new organizational sponsors that are, these are corporations or foundations that have chosen to take an extra step and uh, support us as an organization, not just as an individual member. So we're, we're really pleased and honored to have those people. Um, they include Cartograph, Kilborn Group, Orton Family Foundation, uh, OregonPen.org, Urban3, and Verdunity. And these are all organizations that we're so glad are supporting us. So thank you to them. It's really amazing because we're, um, <laughs> how do I, how do I put this? I am, I'm not going to say we for this one. Um, I am, uh, really, I, I think good at doing the things that I do well. I, I love to write. I love to, uh, go meet people and, and give these talks and, and have back and forth and, and interaction and, and learn from those experiences. I'm not like a natural at running a nonprofit. And in fact, uh, the, the whole fundraising thing has been very odd and strange for me. That having been said, uh, here, this is an instance where some people approached us, 
you know, mm-hmm. Cartograph, uh, Verdunity, uh, Urban Three, um, the Kilborn Group. The, these these people all approached us and said, "Hey, we really like what you're doing. Is there a way we can support you?" And I know, like, my first response was, um, I, I, "I probably." <laughs> <laughs> so I am, uh, you know, I am. Ever since we got our very first donation from Nate Hood, uh, mm-hmm. way back in 2011, I think, um, he was our very first donor. I have just been humbled. And, and I have to admit, I, I realize we're doing important work and I realize we're doing great work. And, and I've committed my life to this and, and obviously sacrificed a lot to make this happen. That being said, whenever someone donates to us, I always step back and go, why? What, why? Like, what? Why? Like, why do you, there's this feeling, it's maybe like this Minnesota inadequacy I have, like, mm-hmm. I'm just uh, like blown away and stunned and, and have just so much gratitude. These particular organizational sponsors have just kind of blown me away because like I said, they, they, they came to us and said, we, you know, are interested in your message. We think it's important and, and we want to, we want to help you. So thank you very much. It, it means a ton. And I, I do hope, um, over the coming weeks and months, the, the ones that I don't know well, uh, you know, I, I know Urban 3, obviously, incredibly well. The Verdunity people we've had on the podcast, they're doing amazing work. Uh, the ones that I don't know as well, uh, I hope to get to know better. And, uh, you know, maybe we can chat a little bit more about some of the things that they offer. I, I know the Kilborn Group in Fargo is doing amazing work, and I've, I've seen some of the stuff they do, and it's incredibly inspiring. So, yeah, it'd be great to feature them and, and maybe some of the others as well. Yeah, thanks to all of those sponsors. All right, well, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.